Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast version, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can also find information about my talk show appearances and any new book projects at MarlenePardo.com or go to Amazon and look up my author profile as Marlene Pardo Pelliser. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and also listen to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for Scary Storytelling, Nightshade Diary for Classic Horror and Adventure Stories, and of course, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests as we talk about the mysteries of the unexplained. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy theories, and just about anything that is plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing great. And I know a lot of you are going to be asking, where are you, Marlene? Because as you can tell in the background, I'm not in my office, office slash studio slash dog pound, etc. No, folks, I am... I'm selling my property, and I'm moving out to Central Florida. I'm leaving Miami. And um, I know a lot of you have been following me, you know, because my wimpy farmer stories and all this, you know, the um, all the fruit trees and stuff that we've done. But uh, me and my husband, we decided, you know what, right now we could probably, we're hoping to make money uh, for it. But we realized, you know, we did a lot of work with the fruit trees but like I said before and you've heard me complain so much it's hard work it's really hard work and I want to spend more of my time writing okay and it, it demands it's it demands like I said even if it's a micro form it demands so much time and effort that by the time I finish out there I'm ready to pass out so we made a decision and we're moving out to central Florida when I say central central as in right in the middle between north and south and east and west so <clears throat> what happened was I'm using my old office as a storage place where I'm putting all my boxes and that's why I've got my kitchen and a ladder and weird stuff behind me and it's very cluttered you just don't see it I'm telling you me and my husband we sword if we ever either one of us comes up with the idea of moving again we're authorized to punch the other one in the mouth or kick him or throw a shoe at him or something like that. But anyway, here we are, guys. But besides that, everything is good. Kind of crazy still because it's just, 2020 is just one of those years. But besides that, everything is good, and I hope you and all of yours are doing well. But now let's get to the good part. The good part is who I have today for a guest, and I have a gentleman by the name of Brent Thomas, and he has his own uh, YouTube uh, paranormal internet show. And he he's, uh, he's, he's after my own heart. Everything that I like 
uh, ghost stories, you name it. Uh, as a matter, of, well, the name of the show is the Paranormal Portal. Okay, and on it he features everything paranormal. He is also on TFR Live, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Um, he, as a matter of fact, he is live though, five days a week from 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. You know, on YouTube, where you know whatever the format is, whether he's interviewing or reading stories, you can call in, and it's a live show, uh, and. You know, we'll we'll talk more about uh, his shows and the format of his shows and everything along the along the way. But again, and of course, I'm gonna have a link in the uh, in the credits of the show. But in the meantime, help me to welcome him tonight. How are you doing today, Brent? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. No, on the contrary, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, oh. and I'm gonna ask you, um, what I ask all my guests: How did you get involved in the paranormal? You know, I, I don't know that there was ever one catalyzing moment or any okay. one catalyzing thing that happened. It's just I've always been absolutely enamored and fascinated with the unknown. I think it's it's the idea that there's still mystery in the world, you know. And from a very young age, I, I like that. I've always liked magic and mystery and monsters and, you know, uh, the whole the whole idea that the world is not maybe as tamed or categorized or labeled and compressed in between pages of a scientific journal, that there's still magic. And I, and I love that idea. I love the idea that the world isn't all just, uh, you know, shelves on a science wall, uh, that there's still treasure, there's still mysteries, there's still so much that we have to learn. And uh, that is absolutely fantastic. And I think that that's probably been my driving force. Um, are you hearing that hiss? Yeah, okay, I know. I'm here we are. It. I'm back, folks. And we had to stop really quick because I know this is going to sound so. Brent and I, we, we're listening and we're hearing both of us, I guess, because we have headphones on, that some t- a real slight hissing. So I had to stop and I checked it and everything's okay. Okay. I know there's people out there going, oh, Marlene. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is... This is what happens in the world of recording videos. But anyway, yeah. let's get back and let's let's let Brett continue with his story. As in, you casually became what a paranormal enthusiast, or was it the story? What was the allure, allure for you in this? I, again, I think it was it was mostly the 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 idea that I love that there's still mystery and magic and and discovery in the world, and that everything isn't isn't uh, subject to or or it isn't already figured out yet. Um, I, I, the hubris of science and, and the, of, of people is that, oh, well, you know, this is what it is and that's all there is to it. Now let's look somewhere else. And I think there's more to it than that, that there's more, that, that the paranormal isn't where things are going sideways or it's not where there's glitches, but it's the breadcrumbs to, a, to demonstrating a much more beautiful and dynamic reality. So... It's really something. Um, what? Well, you know what? And, and, you know, I've, and the reason why I ask is that, you know, there's people that have childhood experience and that's the, like, that's the triggering event for them. Sure. Right. You know, that that's why all of a sudden they're catapulted into that interest in the paranormal and they pursue it. And then there's other people that it's later on in life where they mm-hmm. just follow it and they become intrigued by it. But, yeah. You and me have something in common, and I think part of it, it, it and 
correct me if I'm wrong, is that part of it is exactly like what you said, the unknown, the mystery, mm -hmm. the storytelling part of it, the where, especially in the age of technology, where everything is defined and sharp edges and yeah. explainable. Yeah. And, and, sure. I, and I've said this before to my audience, I have nothing against technology and science or the scientific approach and all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's still something about uh, the mystery of whether you want to call it the paranormal or ghost stories or everything that goes under the umbrella of the paranormal right. that I think intrigues most humans. Yes. Unless you're one <laughs> of these super analytical types. And then. <laughs> I think we're all dreamers. You know, I, and, I, and then maybe that's maybe that's the draw for me is that I'm a dreamer. I, I love mm -hmm. the idea that that um, we still have so much to learn. And, and I hope we do, because if we know it all, and this is as good as it gets, then <laughs> we got a lot of problems. So I want us to have a lot to learn. I want us to figure out more, because we're missing some things really seriously in this, in this world and, and as, a, as a race that's inhabiting this planet. And, and yes, I want yes. us to do better. And, and so maybe as we learn more about these spiritual and metaphysical and, and esoteric realms that we're embedded and surrounded in, maybe we'll we'll learn how to do this better and be better to each other and better to our world, and and that to me is wonderful. That's my that's what I'm hoping. So, uh, you know, I I don't know that there was ever one point, but um, I, I think I've always been sensitive throughout my whole life. My mom tells me uh, stories of when I was young, how I would ask her questions uh, of things that I couldn't possibly have known. And uh, so I guess it's always been kind of a part of my experience to some degree. And I'm not, I'm not uh, ever one to wear the label psychic. I, do, you know, I think everybody is psychic, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, it, it just seems that I've always been tuned into those energies. Now, even though I was enthusiastic about all of this, and I, I would read everything I could about, you know, ghosts and go to the public library because that's all there was. There was no internet, so I'd go to the public library and, and just get lost in the in the weird paranormal section, which was about literally about three feet long <laughs> and had a few books in there, but I would just go through those books like crazy because it was just, I, I love that world. Um, but I was, you know, surprisingly, I never really experienced anything paranormal in my childhood that I recall. Um, okay. Okay. I, I guess uh, it, I don't want to jump ahead, but I mean, my first, my first supernatural slash paranormal experience was when I was 14 that I remember. Okay. What happened? Okay. What happened? Okay. All right. I didn't know if you wanted me to get into it. Yet, no, but... yes, of course. All right. <laughs> so what happened was, I, I is I, I believe now uh, to to preface the story, I believe that I was very very close to a Bigfoot. Now I didn't see it, but let me explain to you what happened. Uh, a friend of mine and I, I was fourteen, he was fifteen, and we where I grew up was very rural. Uh, and it was right along a lake, but behind our, our, our homes, my friend lived very cl close to there as well, was the state forest. And it was this bluff, and I'm, I'm a Minnesota native, even though I live in the north of Idaho now, um, but, uh, you know, there was this big bluff behind our house. And it was called, of all things, Rattlesnake Bluff. However, I never saw a rattlesnake. Um, but... We, were, we would always go up hiking up this bluff. It was just a, a beautiful thing. I mean, I grew up in those woods. I love those woods. I was out there all the time. But this one day in the summer, um, he and I hiked up to the top of the bluff. And we got up there and we're messing around. And then it was starting to get later in the afternoon. And we're like, yeah, we better get down because, you, you know, you don't want to be trapped up there on the, in the 
pitch dark after the sun sets, those forests get really dark. And I had to come down that hill once in pitch blackness, and it was it was wow. absolutely wow. harrowing. But you know, we were getting down the hill, and we were making good time and stuff. But we we were coming down this ravine. It's like a dry run. It's never a, a, a flowing stream or anything, but it's all washed out from thousands of years of melt-offs in the spring. So it's all sandstone and limestone, so it carved it out. It's a beautiful little ravine. So we're coming down there. We're on this, this dried-off waterfall part, and uh, we started to stop on the ledge of this waterfall, and we're both looking down because the terrain ahead is actually kind of tricky. You know, it's all just this field of these limestone boulders and... Uh, you know, it's a little treacherous, so we're kind of plotting our course. Okay, let's go down this way and stuff. And suddenly, right behind us, is the deepest, most menacing growl I have ever heard in my lifetime. This this growl shook my body, vibrated my entire body, and it was right behind us. And, I, I you know, I grew up here. I grew up in this land. I grew up in this area. The biggest thing we have was was white-tailed deer. There's no bear. There's no. There's only deer, and they don't growl. And so we have coyotes and things, but whatever was yeah. making this noise was huge. It was enormous, and it was vibrating me. And and I couldn't move. And it's not that I couldn't move. It's just that I didn't dare move because whatever made that noise, I knew in my heart was going to kill me. I was about to die, <clears throat> and I couldn't. I didn't. The one solace I was going to take is that I wasn't going to see what it looked like before it killed me. You know, that was like, I don't have to see that part. And I'm so going to my death with my eyes shut. <laughs> I'm going to go, yeah, exactly. I won't have that as my last image. So <laughs> we stood there for a few seconds and this thing continued growling and just this rumbling deep growl. And it was oh. just terrifying. I was so afraid. And, uh, you know, moments passed. And uh, I, I said to my friend, I said, what is that? And he goes, I don't know, but we got to get out of here. You know, because now, now a lot of Bigfoot enthusiasts say, don't run, don't run. So, Aww. but you have two options. It's fight or flight. And whatever was making that noise was way out of my fight category. Yeah, that was not an option. So that, that wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Was, like... right. Yeah. So we flew down the hill and got down there and, uh, I mean, literally, we must have run for the better part of a mile through this treacherous rock, just, you know, devil may care, just, you know, b barreling down. And we made it. We didn't die, uh, either from the growly thing or from falling and breaking something. But, uh, you know, for years, I carried that. I was like, what was that? I had no idea. Now, I knew Bigfoot existed. According to Leonard Nimoy, he was in the Pacific Northwest. Right. That's where Bigfoot was, in search of told Yeah, exactly. Um, but... I didn't know that they were they were all over the place, and I didn't know for a number of years. So I carried this noise around in my head, this harrowing moments with no explanation, no definition, nowhere to put it. Just something huge was behind me, and it wasn't until I started researching, probably, uh, you know, ten fifteen years ago, Bigfoot, and started learning about them and learning that they are all over the place. There are Bigfoot in every state reported in every state of the United States with the exception of Hawaii. There are reports coming in from all of those states. Yeah. And people are seeing something. And so then I started to learn what are the signs of them. Learned about tree breaks, learned about, you know, structures and things like that that people find. And so as an adult, I went back up into those woods and I looked and I started to find those things. 
I found a tree break, a huge, I mean, it's a sapling about six inches in diameter of like a, a, a maple sapling was snapped, just snapped. There's no deadfall on top of it. There's no driving back in there. There's no roads for something to drive and run over this, this sapling. And it was snapped off at about three and a half feet up from the ground, just snapped. And then I found a, a structure, uh, and it was built It was built very low to the ground. It was kind of dug out underneath, but there wasn't a cut piece of wood in this structure. It was all broken pieces of wood that made up this structure. And then I found, uh, you know, a stick. Now, I think something was really right there just before I was because I found a little maple sapling branch, and it was about two feet long, and it was very green, but it was devoid of all of the bark, and it was tacky to the touch, meaning that Mm -hmm. it was just stripped. Now, I, I immediately I started thinking, oh, my God, this could be Bigfoot. That could be, and, you know, that was, what, finally that growl made sense to me, that maybe this is what I was confronted with so many years ago. And then I, you know, I was picturing this stick, and I was like, well, you know, you always see the primates on TV grabbing, you know, chewing right. off the green barks and stuff. And so I'm thinking this could be part of their diet, and I'm having this whole revelation, but this is my first encounter. This was the thing that really catalyzed that the world really was it wasn't just my my dreaming and my wishful thinking there was really things out there that we don't understand now did it did it affect your going out in those woods again afterwards once you heard that that's without seeing it did you like <laughs> think like that you know twilight is falling or <laughs> that's it i'm I- gone I, I will tell you what, though. Um, I did go back into the woods, but not for a while. Okay. But I'll tell you that I never had that same innocence in those woods that I, that I used to. Because suddenly I was aware that there were possibly other things there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the reality expanded suddenly and, and brought me into a, the presence of thump, something that, <laughs> that I wasn't prepared for. And, you know, and remember, back then I still had no idea what it was. It was just something big was growling. So my, I was way on alert every time I was in the forest. But, you know, I mean, we were country kids. Where else were we going to go? There was either the forest or the lake, you know. Those are our two choices. Right, because you hear these stories of even adult hunters, outdoorsmen, that have an encounter, whether it's a, a Bigfoot, a dogman, some type of cryptid, and it changes their whole outlook about how they feel about the woods. They, they For some reason, they find that, like you said, that level of security as far as, like, back – what you're describing is the worst I have to worry about is, are the deer. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, the edges just got real fuzzy on what's out here. Mm-hmm. And not what's out there is something that what may want to eat me, tear me limb from limb. Right. Or, yeah. you, know, you know, because, of course, our imagination always goes down the worst case scenario path. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I'm- um yeah, I've heard some people, for lack of a better word, some people develop almost like PTSD in some cases because they can't get over the experience. Right, and I've I've I've, I've interviewed hunters, lifelong hunters, have been generational hunters mm-hmm. that saw one and they can't enter the forest anymore. It's just gone from them. Okay, it's like that was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had seen it, I probably would have been in that same situation, but it was just you know it was just this terrifying growl. And so I guess after a while, you just will, you know, the only thing I'm really grateful is that I wasn't alone because if I had been alone, I don't know, you know, what I would have thought. Am I crazy? Was that just me? Did that really happen? But 
I know it did because I wasn't alone. Someone else was there experiencing it with me. Did you ever find out, did you ever investigate if in that area anybody had ever had a Bigfoot sighting? You know, I, 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 <laughs> I didn't have my own show yet uh, at that point when I started learning about it. So I wasn't real forth, you know, forthcoming with all of that. But I, but I would always ask, ask the people along that, that area. I was like, yeah, you ever see anything weird up here? Ever see anything that doesn't make sense? And pretty much everybody was consistently said no. But <laughs> so it's lucky uh, me. <laughs> yeah, it was just me. But I will tell you that uh, there are a lot of stories. Uh, my brother, being one of them, who's a, a he's a deer hunter, and he okay. he tells okay. the story of where he was he was hunting near that area, about a mile away, <clears throat> and he was he was hunting, and he and he, he saw this big buck walk out, and and he shot it, he got it, and. Uh, it, it took off running, but he got a good a good hit on it, and and he he tracked it. He said it was losing all kinds of blood. I mean, this thing was was not going to go far, and he said that he and a friend went together and followed the blood trail into this thicket, this thick thick area, and then suddenly the blood trail stopped. And there, he said there couldn't have been any blood left in this thing. It was just, but it wasn't there. It was just gone. There's now if another hunter would have found it. They would have field dressed it because a Minnesota white-tailed deer is, you know, 150 or plus pounds. You know, I mean, they're big right. corn-fed deer, and so you know nobody's just going to drag out a full deer. They're going to dress it and and then you know make it as light as they can and then drag it out. They're not even going to carry it out. They're going to drag it through all that stuff. He said there was no drag marks, no gut piles. It's like this thing just evaporated. It was just gone. And I and wow. <clears throat> I've heard other researchers comment on that that they believe that. A hunting is is like the dinner bell for these things because they 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 are so much more adept and 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 capable of of you know navigating and and uh, you know going through these places. That's where they live. You know, course, we just visit course. there. You know, we're not really graceful in natural terms. So, uh, you know, and I believe that because I've heard these stories and I've heard many stories and how you know anybody that knows somebody that hunts knows there are stories of where they got this deer or this animal and they they couldn't find it. It was just gone. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I, and I tell people, I said, you know what, Let, let's go down and let's say that they're not totally carnivores or omnivores. In other words, they'll eat anything. Sure. I tell mm-hmm. them, you know, if you think about the, how people describe the Bigfoot, hundreds of pounds, what, eight, yeah. nine, ten feet. I said, do yeah. you know how much food it takes to sustain a body like mm-hmm. that, a predator? It takes mm-hmm. a lot, especially meat. Okay, you ask yeah. any zookeeper how much they feed the animals there, which are smaller sometimes than what a Bigfoot is. Sure. You know, they have to spend a lot of their time hunting and eating just to survive day to day. So would you describe as the dinner bell for them, which is, hey, I'm going to get food and I'm not going to have to hunt for it. Right. That right. makes so much sense. For a predator, because I'm going to say they're a predator, because I, mm-hmm. I do believe I'm I'm not a Bigfoot expert, but I do believe at the very least they eat some type of meat just to sure. sustain what they're described as. That absolutely, I can see where maybe they're just really good at camouflaging themselves, mm-hmm. but for them, when they see hunters in the area, they're always looking for the opportunity to do yeah. exactly what you described. Yep, and I and I believe they do, uh, you know, and. And it might it might help explain where some of these deer are going that people are are not finding, you know. Yes, I've I've heard of that. I've heard of hunters like that. All of a sudden, they they're tracking an animal they they shot, and it's just mm-hmm. nowhere to be found. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a strong possibility. I think you're absolutely right. 
Well, and, and this is, um, do they have in that area? Because I know, uh, what is it, Minnesota or Michigan, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that they also have stories of dogmen out there as well. There's a lot of cryptids out in those northern states uh, yeah. that I've heard of also. That's really funny because, you know, when I, when I first started hearing about the dogman, it was always the Michigan dogman. And mm-hmm. then, then you started hearing stories from, like, Ohio and then uh, Wisconsin with, with, of course, Linda Godfrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had her on the show and, and interviewed her, and she's a wonderful, wonderful person. Just love her to death. But uh, she talks about, of course, the Beast of Bray Road. Right. And, and now there's stories I've caught more recently of the Minnesota dogman, and I had never heard of anything like that in our areas. So... Uh, I don't know if they're spreading out or if this, there's more people coming forward to talk about them because I think, I think there's a real trend. And if you think about it, the, the conversations are, are more easy to have now, easier than ever sure. before. You know, more people are able and willing to, to, to discuss what they've experienced because you're not going to be that weirdo, you know, that yes. gets whispered about at the water cooler, you know. Yes. Everybody, everybody's kind of come into the ideas and, and yeah. then we're embracing them more and more. And maybe it's, you know, has a lot to do with shows like Finding Bigfoot and Ghost Adventures and things like that that make it more a part of our of vocabulary because we're exposed to these ideas more. And people see other people that are having experiences and like, well, they're, they're, not, they're not weird. I'm, that means I'm not weird. Okay, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah before, like you said, it had a stigma. Like you didn't want to be that person or that guy. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, all right, I'll just keep this to myself. <laughs> yeah. So I think people are having those discussions now, and maybe that's why that you know the dogman suddenly was spreading out because suddenly people were like, okay, you know what? I heard about this story. I can talk about my story because you wouldn't believe this. Yeah, and, right. uh, and it ends up being really cathartic, I think, as well yes. that people don't have to, you know, internalize it anymore. They can they feel like they can share. And so many times I'm interviewing people on my show, it's like, oh my God, this is the first time I've ever shared this. It mm-hmm. feels so good to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> and it's wonderful. You know, it's it feels really great to. To be able to, you know, not only hear these amazing stories, but to help them in their process of putting their lives back together. Right. You know? and, and a lot of people, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that are in law enforcement. It was like a career killer if you ever spoke about certain things that you saw. It, because mm-hmm. it would follow you around. You were that yeah. guy or that girl that saw or whatever experience. So you kept it low. And if you had a nice boss, yeah. they would be the first ones to pull you in and go, shut up. <laughs> Don't talk <laughs> about this anymore. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah. of course, a lot of them, once they retire, they leave that, that type of job. Then they come forward and do exactly what you just described. And it's right. like a big weight is lifted off their shoulders because they're like, I know I'm not going crazy. And mm-hmm. I checked off all the boxes of the plausible. And that leaves me with whatever happened, whatever, you know, it was their experience was made up of yeah and uh i absolutely and and sometimes and maybe you've had that experience they haven't even told family or close friends oh yeah because many times yeah yeah because they can call in anonymously i don't make them say who they are you know i just ask for a name and and a lot of times that's exactly what people say it's like the first time i've ever talked about it i haven't even told my wife about this and uh maybe it emboldens that communication and because i i think that's it's it's a horribly isolating thing to have an experience that that already just destroys your paradigm and you yes. you can't it's not like you can just go to your buddies and say hey man check this out what do you think 
Um, and, and but I think that that's improving, and that people are are more able to because the conversations are out there and the shows are out there that are doing it, like you know Sasquatch Chronicles and the Confessionals, and of course the Paranormal Portal and Euro Show, and and everybody's giving voice to these people. And it's you know it's I, I think the surprising thing for a lot of people is hearing how many stories there yes. are out there. I'm not the only you know, one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people like me. Wow, you know, and that's really great. So I guess in yeah, some sense, that's people amazing. People don't realize the psychological impact because you mentioned it just a second ago. If this is possible, what else out there <laughs> yeah. that was always like fringe or woo-woo or whatever, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is, could that be real? And like all of a sudden your paradigm, your what you live in goes. Yeah. <laughs> and for a lot of people, depending on your personality, you need that structure. And some people, mm-hmm. sh- you know, they, they become paralyzed when all of a sudden, you know, it's just the world is not what they thought it was. So it goes right. beyond just, let's say, if they had a sighting or an experience or whatever the case might be. Uh, let mm-hmm. me ask you, because you're up there in the north, considering in Florida, how cl- are you close to Skinwalker Ranch? I'm north of it by quite a bit. That's, that's in, in Nevada, right? Nevada. Uh, no, Utah. So Utah. Utah. I'm just north of, of Utah, but I'm on the uh, top tip of Idaho. So okay. uh, southern Idaho, of course, would be much closer. But that's right. It is Utah. Um, but no, I, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I what? Like I asked because I was going, you know, I've always thought, and I'm thinking this is the one place that just about everything under the sun and a little bit extra actually occurs on that piece of land. Yeah, there's, there's uh, you know, there's a few areas like that. Uh, but Right, and course- I was about to go there, but I know there's others out there that just had, don't have that, that, yeah, that well known, but I'm sure that, that notoriety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, the funny thing is, is though, uh, there's something going on out here on this this whole region as far as UFOs is concerned. Now, the, another story of mine, <coughs> excuse me, is you know, all my life I've I've had an open mind for the whole UFO thing. I believe that you know they they're probably out there. I believe that they visited us, but it was a belief, and uh, it wasn't until. Uh, seven years ago, six and six and a half or seven years ago, I was visiting this area. I used to live in Minnesota, as I mentioned, but I was up here uh, on a business trip because the company I was working for moved up here. So I, I came up on a business trip, and um, the the person who owned the company was like, you know, rather than put you in a hotel, he said, I bought this this mountain cabin. It's been converted into our home. We haven't moved in yet. Do you want to just stay up there in the mountains? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, he brought me up there and showed me around and stuff. And I was like, wow, it's really beautiful. And that was going to be where I was going to be sleeping. And uh, it's an amazingly beautiful area. And before, earlier in the day, he was showing me around. And I noticed he had night vision binoculars. I was like, oh, cool. Because I, I've, I've always wanted to get a hold of night vision uh, binoculars or, you know, some night vision scope because um, the – the truth of the matter is that our stars, when you look up at the night sky, you're seeing the yellow stars and some of the, the bluer colored ones. But most of the stars in our galaxy are actually red and are not so visible with the naked eye. So I was like, I can't wait to see what this looks like. I'd heard about it. People using, you know, infrared to look up at the night sky. And, and so, you know, after the day, I came back up there at the night and it got nice and dark. And it was a late spring. Uh, there was still, it was still chilly out. Uh, there was a partial moon that night. I'm up in this mountain cabin, and the way that the, the, the house is situated is it was, it was built on one side of the valley, 
and there's like a logging road that comes by that's that's the access you got to drive this logging road back about a few miles off of like it's three miles off of the main road so it's way back in the mountain there and uh and all everything else around there there are other structures but they're these seasonal cabins where people hunt and they come in you know during the seasons and hunt and stuff so there wasn't any real residences anywhere near there it's just these little little cabins that people visit during the warm months and uh so i'm up there all by myself in the mountains and there's not anything else going on but i've got the night vision binoculars out and i'm looking at the stars and no kidding if you ever get a chance look at the night sky with with infrared binoculars or night vision because it's going to blow you away you won't even recognize any constellations because there are so many more stars and things up there to see it's just spectacular but I'm up there, and this is the first time I've ever played with night vision, so I'm like a kid, you know, I'm just, look at that. And uh, I'm playing around having a great... <laughs> <laughs> now, the other side of the valley was the uh, the other mountain uh, range going up. So, and then below, in the bottom of the valley, is this, this stream. It's called Trout Creek, actually, uh, is the name of it. But um, I'm so I'm playing around, and I'm looking at the other mountain on the other side. Now, these are only four-power binoculars. They're so not really magnifying a whole bunch. They just magnify a little bit. But I'm looking at the trees on the other side, and I can make out all the details and stuff. I think this is really cool. I'm playing with night vision. This is fun to see in the dark. And I'm looking down, uh, and I go back down to the side that I'm on, look down the driveway where it's all black with my naked eye, and I put up the binoculars. I can see everything, and I'm just having fun. And then I pan up. I'm panning up this big ponderosa pine, and I get to the top of it, and I, and I decided, well, I'm going to look at the stars again. Keep panning up at about 30 feet above that tree which is about 100, 150 yards away from me, is, no kidding, a flying saucer sitting right there. No sound whatsoever. It's sitting there, just sitting there. And, and it's literally the, the proverbial saucer, the two pie plates, you know, like this. But mm-hmm. the, the, the two points don't come together like this. There's a gap in between them. There's these okay. panels of light. And it's flashing light and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm having this amazing moment where... It's real. Like, it's not a belief. It's a knowing. I'm looking at this flying saucer. It's sitting there, absolutely noiseless, uh, and then no sound whatsoever. And it's just flashing light. It's just, you know, brilliant. But it's all in green because the night vision, of course, is all green. Mm-hmm. And I'm just beside myself, just having this whole epiphany of experiences all at once. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I got to see this with my naked eye. So then I take down the, the, the binoculars and I look above that same tree and there's nothing there. There's just I was going to say, you could only see it. And then I raise the night vision and it's there. And then oh. I lower the night vision and it's not there. And I raise it and I'm lowering, raising the lower and I'm like, oh my God, it's cloaked. It's hidden. That's I what I was see. about to say. Yeah, it was hidden from my, my native, whatever the spectrum we see natively was mm-hmm. not visible. It was visible outside of that. So... I was just like processing all of this. I'm absolutely overwhelmed and just amazed. And my jaws open, and I'm looking and looking and looking. And then I started looking, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, and then I'm thinking, you know, I'm 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 here looking at them, and they're sitting up there, and I'm about the only thing going on in this whole valley. So they're probably <laughs> up there looking at me. And so I'm like, oh my God, wait a minute, this is as real as I need it to be. I don't feel like I need any probing tonight. I'm right. Done. I don't want to be 
have an abductee story to tell after this. Uh, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want that experience. So I went inside, locked the doors, and and of course I'm you know pacing the windows, looking out to see if I could see anything. Never did see anything more. And that, as far as I know, that was the end of my experience. I don't have any missing time or anything like that. But <laughs> it was just this amazing experience of seeing a saucer. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, I sat there for hours, and it must have been about three thirty or four in the morning before I was actually able to nod off at all, just because the adrenaline was just coursing through me. Yeah. And I had this, you know, this existential experience of, of seeing the impossible, seeing the things that aren't supposed to be there. And, and I knew now that more than ever, I knew it was real. So that was my UFO experience. And now the funny thing is, is after experiencing that, all my life I've been looking at the sky and never seen anything weird. But now that I've seen that, I've seen other weird things in the sky. It's like, I don't know if it just opens uh-huh. a seal or something in us. And it's the same thing a lot of times for ghost, ghost experiencers. Now, you know, the whole life never having experienced something happens, then they're having more experiences after that. And, and it just seems to be a trend. And I don't know if it's unlocking an awareness in us that makes us more receptive to the possibility or what. But, yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. I think that there is something to that, what you're describing, mm-hmm. as far as that, that awareness comes mm-hmm. alive. Whether there's something that you pick up. But, and, and I love that story because some to me whether it's a ufo sighting or cryptid uh whatever it's those moments like you said when you see it not really because you're looking for it per se yeah, yeah. you know like what happened to you when you were a kid mm-hmm. you know you were you were just heading home and this you're just watching the stars yeah and all of a sudden but sometimes people go look for you know looking to have that experience I think yeah. the best ones are the ones where it just plunks you like a two by four on the head, like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah okay, you know, here a, we go. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in both cases, I wasn't looking for anything paranormal or or out of this world. I was just looking. I was just having an, my own experience, and these other things just intruded on my experience and made themselves known. So yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. But and 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 you know what? And it's really weird because you, as a matter of fact, the other day I was watching you know the movie, the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That was a yeah. great movie. Yeah. And of course, you know, in that movie, they portray the aliens as being very friendly, and they want to do this sure. kumbaya with the human race. <laughs> or, yeah, but sure. but now there's there's those two schools. One of them, one of them is that they're friendly. Well, there's three, really. One that they're friendly, one that they really don't care, they're just observing us, and then the other ones that they're, like, using us as guinea pigs. Yeah. You know, and I think everybody now is like like what you said. I really don't want to find out what right. are the type that are watching me or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and that, it's kind of curious, though, because there's the – fun, the one thing that I think is, is kind of bizarre is that you don't really hear about saucers as much anymore. It was like when, when, when UFOs made it into our social consciousness – it was always flying saucers, flying saucers, flying mm-hmm. saucers. Then there were like cigars and these other weird shapes. And then it was like these big triangles, um, like, you know, the, the Phoenix Lights, you know, uh, phenomenon and many others where people are seeing these enormous triangles. Then there's the egg shapes and all these weird shapes. And, and it, it, it kind of occurs to me that I don't think we're just being visited by one type. I think that these different craft might be indicative of different races, the different, different uh, craft design based upon you know where they're from uh, i think that that stands to reason i would love to know who was driving the one i saw because that's a curiosity i mean it, it's what were they seeing what were they what were they seeing when they were looking at me and what were they looking at me for i'm 
I was just an idiot out on the porch with some binoculars. So, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's just funny. You know, you got to wonder, what were they doing? What was that all about? And I I guess those are the questions we'll never get answered, but they're always there. And that was so interesting when you said that unless you were using those binoculars, you couldn't see them. They had some cloaking you eyes. Yeah, that's really the part that really drove it home because, of course, I think uh, everybody's heard of the old breakaway space program where we have secret uh, compartments of our of our government or society that are you know doing their own thing and developing these amazingly advanced craft based on right. perhaps collected uh, craft of of aliens. And you know the fact that I couldn't see it with my own eyes was like, okay, this isn't ours. <laughs> you know, right? That, that's a whole different level. Right, because. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people think that UFO means alien or extraterrestrial, and it's not necessarily that. It's just unidentified, which yeah. could mean it's ours. It originates with this planet. Like, But you said it's just really super advanced technology that is key, being kept hush-hush by some agency that nobody knows about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, but the, uh, yeah. The, the thing that occurs to me is that, uh, you, you know, there the, – I, I think they must be, they must be kind of benign. I, I at least I, I think I'd love to believe that they were just really altruistic and benevolent, but I don't know. But I, I I don't think that they're here to take over because I mean, why why would they have waited and all the time that they've been a part of our of our world, which may even be thousands of years, depending on how you look at it, you look into the alien astronaut theories and stuff. But why would they wait until we got technically advanced to take us over? It's like they could have taken it when we were running around with sticks and been, you know, no problem. So the fact that they didn't leads me to believe that, you know, they're they're not really all about, you know, causing problems. They're just here, and maybe they're here to watch and observe. Maybe they're here to help, but in a in a real uh, subtle way to let us find our own way. Um, but I, I just don't necessarily buy the whole where they're here to over, you know, as overlords to take over kind of thing. Right, like how much, or then you can go into that school of. Did they interfere? Did they genetically tweak us way, way back then? You know, I know that there's that theory that that's why they they've stuck around all this time, just to mm-hmm. see what happens with the experiment kind of deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're an ongoing experiment, that's for sure. Well, yeah, and uh, and and I've heard the same the the diff, the different uh, theories as far as there's different ones. There's some that are friendlier, some that are not. Some yeah. that are more hands-off, you know, like I'm going to the Star Trek Prime Directive thing, yeah. like step back and let them do their thing. Don't interfere. Don't help them uh, with technology because you're going to screw up their their world. Their development, uh, yeah. That's and, true. And it makes you wonder. Uh, but I think the one that everybody worries about, though, I hate to say it, is the if you have uh, I don't know, a beings that are so advanced that they could, however, whether they're interdimensional or black hole or however they get around, obviously they're more advanced than us. So we're kind of at at their mercy if they decided to like become nasty, I guess is what I'm saying. I know everybody always thinks about that in the back of their mind yeah. as in, I hope they're friendly. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, I think they are. But yeah, if, if they're able to either traverse dimensions or, you know, to do whatever they want, uh, come across the stars, and they have these ultra-advanced craft that we can't even figure out how they're running. 
Um, I don't think we would be any kind of technological challenge if they, you know, they, there's stories of, of missiles being disarmed by these, mm -hmm. you know, cro these craft that are appearing during testing and stuff. Yes. And, and so obviously, no matter what we would lob, they could just turn it off. So, uh, you know, I don't think that's, that we would probably pose much of a challenge. Uh, you know, in our arrogance, I think we'd like to think so, but I'm not so convinced that that's the case. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I think that they're, they're kind of, there, there's some for some reason they're a part of what we're doing. Whether they helped helped us along, and and, and it, it, history would suggest that they do intervene, and have you know if you look at uh, like Puma Punka and and the the you know potentially the pyramids or other structures from our ancient world that were somehow carved you know granite was carved with bronze chisels. Um, you know, the math yeah, doesn't really yeah. add up in a lot of cases, but you know, I don't pretend to know. And there's so much about this stuff that I don't know and nobody knows, but you know, I, I just have fun postulating and thinking about it because it really does open up the possibilities. You know, it opens up the world. Well, you know that they recently, well, when I say recently, I mean, like, what is it? A couple of years ago that they admitted that they did have a program through the government they mm -hmm. basically disclosed because they were having so many reports from pilots, uh, yes. you know, describing these ships or crafts or whatever you want to call them that were speeding along and doing maneuvers that, in other words, it was like they finally admitted it. And mm -hmm. um, it's kind of hard to dismiss that. Right. Yeah, it uh, is. Very difficult to dismiss that. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, like I said, I'm sure that that's been going on for many, many, many years and way before there was just a lot of pilots or trained observers, whatever you want to call them, that it was like, let me just shut up <laughs> before, <laughs> before they, they debrief me and then, you know, send me off for a psych or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's and, you know, like even, um, what is it? When you look at the, in Peru, the Nazca lines, you know, those... Um, yep. But those the designs shapes. of animals are the only way you could see them was hundreds of feet in the air. And, yeah. you know, you would think back in those years of those um, civilizations to have pulled manpower off to do those things. That was something very important because usually you had your your people mm -hmm. making food or artisans or storing food or whatever it was for survival. So right. when you pulled people to work on that it had to have some very very important significance right yeah and, and of course that that makes you think they in other words they weren't doing it just because we have nothing better to do and let's get artsy craftsy and you know carve out these huge glyphs on the side of a mountain um yeah that's true very good point you know so it, it, it yeah when you put your mindset back in those times back then people didn't unless you were, of course, way up the food chain, you really didn't have that much uh, luxury time, you know, like as far as yeah. like I have nothing better to do. Yeah, know. there was always something better to do. <laughs> you had to work. You had to like, yeah. you know, farm or whatever it was, uh, you know, whatever it was that you were doing at that time in that civilization. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot out there that still is under the, the question mark. And you know mm -hmm. what? I've I've gone to some, and I don't know if you've had this experience with people that you've interviewed, Brent. Um, I've gone to a few groups out here that uh, talk about UFOs and UFO encounters and MUFON were doing presentation. And it was incredible because 
I had people telling me, you know, after the presentation came up to me and were telling me that they had had a sighting and at this mm-hmm. point just of a UFO and then they had an uptick of paranormal events in their home. Oh, yeah. Which was really weird. And it was more than one person, by the way, that told me this. Ah, that is really weird. Um, But, you know, there is kind of a bleed through if you look at the phenomena between spirit stuff and uh, some uh, alleged abduction stuff. It's it's very, very close in a lot of ways. The the creatures standing by the bed, uh, coming through walls dragging people through walls and, and uh, all those kind of experiences. So there is there is a real similarity between the two. And, you know, it just makes me believe that um, I think that we perceive a lot of things uh, and we're perceiving a lot of things, but we just throw a label at it and call it spiritual. But I think that many things that may exist uh, in, in other dimensional realities may just appear to us as spirits, even though they're really not. And perhaps some of these visitors that are doing these things are, are you know, just a multidimensional entity. And I don't mean that in a, you know, like, oh, that's all they are. But, but right. that they're a multidimensional entity. And as they interact in our, in our realm, perhaps, the, you know, fundamentally they would appear like a spirit, but they're not. Right. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, that some people think like the grays are biomechanical. I mean, there's so many theories out there floating around yeah. as far as what they really are. And even um, the men in black thing. Some people think it's a human. Other people think they're not because they're so weird looking. Um, uh-huh. You know, very like, um, how can I say, pretending to be human kind of appearance. <laughs> yeah. And, and those, you know, you've, you hear reports of the men in black from everything. The people that had that experience with Mothman. Um, everybody that's had weird experiences, especially if it's gotten a little bit of publicity. Yeah, have reported sometimes for years back that they got a visit from some weird individual telling them to shut up or something like that. <laughs> Stop talking, huh? Yeah, it seems like it. Um, it it's, you know, the, sometimes the Men in Black reminds me of like that movie with Matt Damon, The Adjustment Bureau. I don't know if you saw that, but it's like maybe they have a lot of different roles and maybe they're just, you know, maybe they are just watchers of some kind trying to keep mm-hmm. our trajectory on, on, on point or on path so that we get to where we need to go. But yeah, it's, it's kind of bizarre. I don't know. You know, the thing with this is with, and I'm sure this is something you're very well of, uh, aware of as well, but it's, uh, you know, when I started doing this show, I thought, well, I, I know a lot about this stuff. I, I got this stuff sorted out. Yeah, I could do a great job. And then you start doing it, and you start hearing these things that people bring to the table, and you suddenly realize you don't know anything. You know, <laughs> I, there's so much to it. There's so much, and I, and I think it's it's honestly it's the realm of possibility. And uh, you know, when you start crossing the the ideas that some of it may very well be spiritual, some of it may very well be alien, some of it might be uh, cryptids. But then you start talking about tulpas and thought forms and manifesting mm-hmm. things inadvertently in poltergeists and, you know, other spiritual presences. And suddenly you've got, you know, you've got this huge laundry list of possibilities. And what and then, it, you know, it might be quicker to just say what isn't possible. And you realize pretty quickly that it's all possible. Sure. You know, and a lot of and, times and what, we're the agency. We're in, in other words, it's not the ghost thing, like you said, whether it's a yeah. tulpa or poltergeist. That's yeah. very interesting. 
We're very powerful yeah. beings, I think. We are. I think we are these dynamically uh, impressive, divine, radiant lights that have been somehow fooled into the idea that we're separate and hopeless, you know. Mm-hmm. But we are, we are absolutely, uh, uh, you know, just imbued with this, this amazing ability and uh, awarenesses that uh, we've just got to remember how to find it, you know. It's well, like separate, right? You know, you mentioned it, and you're right. It's like a Venn diagram. I think all those areas overlap as far as the spiritual or if you want to look at ufology. Uh, You're breaking up. I am. Am I better? Or did I? Yeah, no. Am I okay? Yep, you're good now. Okay, good. Anyway, that... Everybody wants to, you know, there's people that are, that are strictly UFOs, and if you talk to them about ghosts, they'll look at you like, yeah, right, yeah, or the, or the other way around. And I think really that they all overlap, you know, I whether agree. it's cryptids um, or even, you know, the parapsychology part of, like, uh, the power of the mind, whether it's remote viewing, uh, mm-hmm. psychokinetic uh, energy, you know, which a lot of people think is a source of poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. All those things, I think, they kind of overlap at some point. Um, they're not totally separate, despite what people, you know. Yes. Because I'm sure there's people out there, I've, I've spoken to people, uh, the ufologists, that they're like strictly hard science. Yeah. And don't talk to it's them not, about anything else. <laughs> and it's kind of funny when you think about it. It's like, well, you'll believe there's little people in, in flying craft that are coming from across <laughs> the cosmos. Or you'll believe that there's this big yeah. ape out in the woods, uh, or a dogman, but you won't believe in, uh, you know, the fact that you know we're made of energy, and after we die, we may choose to linger. You know, it's like, how, how do you differentiate? Why does, why do they have such clear-cut things? But I think you're right. I think that there isn't always a clear-cut answer. It could be anyone or all or or none, or you know, maybe there's something else still. And this is just all about the realm of possibility at the end of the day, and. And it comes to a point, and maybe those people are just hanging on to their paradigm with your life, you know, I mean, because people do cling to their paradigms desperately. This is what I'm willing to accept. This is what I can't get my head around. So, and they just stay in their path. That's their lane. And they don't want to leave it. They don't want anybody pulling them out of their lane. And maybe it's some of, for some of them, like us, you know, like move on researchers, for example, they're very rigid. They're very rigid in their ideology. But I think I think they have to be because they're representing a national group of researchers. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to stay within a certain prescribed zone. Just like, you know, if you're, if you're let's say, if you're um, working in the post office, that you know, you should, probably shouldn't be uh, trying to discuss nuclear physics because you're a postman. That's what you're here for, you know. So I, I think that, yeah. you know, can be some of that too. But I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. I am sure. in my head what it's worth. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? <laughs> But no, I agree with you as far as um, that the, the the people that we're all creatures of habit, some more yeah. than others. But we all desperately, in order to function, we need that structure and that familiarity. And when you start talking about things like that, that we're talking about putting a big, big, huge dent in people's reality. It's like, yes. I guess I just won't go to work and sit here and think about that, you know, <laughs> because, um, and 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 I think that part of it is just enables us to keep functioning but at the same time and i agree with you 
I think because it's become a little bit more mainstream because of shows and podcasts and things, people, people talking about it, it's become more acceptable, not that much stigma for people to actually come forward yes. and talk about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it, it's safer now than ever. Yes. And that makes it okay because there's, pe very pe there's people out there that this, sometimes that one event, whatever it was, is their whole life is determined by before and after that event, whatever they saw or experienced. Yes. It, that's yep. how, how important it is to them because like you said, their reality kind of like shook a little bit. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, now they're coming forward and talking more about it and, and things of this nature. And I, I think I tell everybody, there's a lot that I consider that falls under that paranormal umbrella. It's just not ghosts. I mean, the paranormal yeah. or spiritual. Mm -hmm. God, there, there's so many things out there. Even let's say the extraterrestrials, do they come from space? Are they traveling between dimensions? Uh, you hear about uh, a correlation between UFO sightings and sightings of cryptids. You know, like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like, are, are we talking, are these cryptids slipping in through a portal when these UFOs come through? Who knows? I mean, this is just one of my... One of the yeah. theories I've heard out there, or yeah. are they actually part of the same group, you know, loosely, right. uh, which is why sometimes we can't find cryptids or let's say Bigfoot in this case, because they're just not there to be found, in other words, or what right. we haven't found uh, bones or, or anything like that. Yes. So, I mean, there's there's. Like I, that that's the part where I say the horizon gets fuzzy because we really don't know what lies beyond that. Right. Um, and even now, you know how everybody's all carried away about, you know, we're going to be colonizing Mars eventually. And I'm like, you know how much there's still left on here to do <laughs> explorations about? Yes, I agree. And, you know, I, I think maybe it's in our, maybe it's in our, our, our genes that we're meant to, we're meant to stretch out to the cosmos, but I'm yeah. not sure that we're quite ready yet. We've got so much to figure out here, you know? Yeah, of course. It's like, <laughs> all I can think of is uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and what was it, Total Recall or something like that. <laughs> Every time I think of colonizing Mars, it's like... Oh, yeah, that was a great movie. Isn't that a great Back movie? Yeah, it really was, yeah, yeah. You know, but it was like, yeah. It, it, and it, it's really weird because... Um, you know, it, it it had some of the things that you see of today where he's being tracked until he pulls that thing off out of his nose. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yep. You remember that? That was like, I was looking at it. I was like, oh, his God. His cracking booger, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's, that looks really, God, that's, just track me, forget it. That's staying in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting it out. That's it. Yeah. Now start with tinfoil hats instead. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and I guess my point is, I mean, even though that's, you, you know, I've, as you can tell, I'm, you know, a lot of these movies that came out in the late 70s and 80s and 90s that were so considered totally, totally sci-fi or fantasy, oh, sure. a lot of yeah. them like kind of like actually happening. Yes, that's true. Yeah. There is truth. To that. Yeah. I mean, we are, we're, you know, you look at, you look at Star Trek, you know, from the 60s. And then you look at what, what we have now, like iPads. That was like the control panels from the next generation, iPads. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. of course, the communicators are cell phones. And you know, there's so many things yeah. that we already have that were, 
that were dreamed in science fiction. It's like maybe science fiction is our, is maybe like almost like an echo from our future selves, kind of letting us know what's going on in it. And it comes by the form of inspiration for, you know, the mediums so that they will come into existence. Who knows? You know, I mean, it's, it's that whole space time thing is kind of bizarre, but um, yeah. you know, the whole idea, I, I don't, I can't get into all of it, but you know, you think of like non-Euclidean space time where every moment is actually happening in the simultaneous one moment. It's, it's our awareness that's moving through it, not time, you know, right. and, right. and that's a really exciting prospect, but it's, it's also, it also will cook your bacon in a hurry if you think about it too much. Well, yeah. You know, you know how people or creators or artists call it their muse and maybe, yeah. you know, when they're, they're, well, I'm going to use the word channeling, you know, yeah. they're channeling that, I don't know, that frequency, I guess. If you want to look right. at it, like you're saying, you know, everything is happening all at the same time. Sure. Uh, yeah, and they're just picking up, they just happen to have that moment, you know, especially now with all these crazy people taking ayahuasca, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> now it's, there's, you know, there, I think that, I really think, and this is a kind of a revelation that I've come by more recently, is that, uh, you know, we talk about multidimensional beings and stuff, but I think, I think we are. It's just we've forgotten that we are. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about things like uh, astral projecting, lucid dreaming and stuff these are these are very real experiences that could very well be happening on a different plane of of reality or existence maybe it's maybe it's a multiverse experiences maybe it's just another vibrational reality that we're not fully aware of in our in our conscious minds but we can experience in these altered states and i think that we are uh, incredibly powerful potent beings but we just have somehow or by some measure forgotten this and uh, I think that that's, that's exciting to me because we think that we're separate. We think that we're alone. We think that we're small little minuscule things on the, on the face of this, of this great cosmos. But when you think about the whole multidimensional aspect, then we belong to it all. And it's a part of us and we're a part of it. And, and I think that's beautiful, you know? Sure, sure. I really do. Sorry, my eyes burn. Yeah, don't, yeah don't. don't worry about it. No, it's like, you know, all the new uh, theories that they have about, you know, as far as that everything being solid is really just the way we perceive it, but that everything is just vibrating at such a high speed, but that ev- nothing is really truly solid. So, yeah, there's a, yes. there's a lot of ways we could go on that. But anyway, Brent, I <laughs> wanted to thank you for spending this time with me today. And yeah, I'm going to have a link to your... YouTube channel on the credits of the show, but for my podcast listeners, what's mm-hmm. the best way to either listen to you? Should they go to YouTube? If you want to go ahead and give out that information, it's be- and also the uh, days and the times that uh, you're streaming live. Okay, so on, on YouTube is just, YouTube is just one part of what we're doing, um, but you can check us live. Check out the Paranormal Portal live. Uh, so it's Wednesday night through Sunday night on uh, YouTube.com/slash/ParanormalPortal. Uh, and you can find us. We are also broadcasting on Friday, Saturday nights, simulcasting on TFR Live, iHeart, TuneIn, and TalkStream Live. We are also a podcast, which is available on all the major podcast platforms. Just look for the Paranormal Portal on Pandora, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Play, any of the major podcasting platforms. We're out there, and those are different shows entirely. So. Uh, you know, these are these are very different, uh, not very different in the feel of the shows, but each show is unique. 
I'm not just grabbing YouTube shows and making a podcast or making a podcast and then making it into a YouTube show. So um, it's they're all uh, you know individual shows. So, but otherwise, follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/ParanormalPortalRadio. That's the okay. best way to keep in touch with us. I don't have an official web page yet, but it's in development. So, um, and uh, you can find Brent Thomas on on uh, Facebook as well, and you can reach out and get in touch with me. Okay, sounds good, fantastic. I want to wish you the best of luck on all your projects, and thank you again for spending this time. It has been absolutely fabulous to speak to you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. It's been a, an absolute pleasure meeting you, and and I love these kind of conversations. So I know there's uh, I really lots it. of weird stuff out there. It's like it makes the weird <laughs> little heart happy. But thank you again, Brent. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. Yes. See, he's he's got a lot of interesting um, themes. Like, uh, I know he reads some uh, stories about people that submitted about different experiences they've had. And it's live and so on and so forth. But, yeah. Um, and it's very interesting because... You know, when I ask people, how did you get into this paranormal? You know, he he says it's something, but again, he relates how as a teenager, as a kid, he had this experience with what he thought now that he thinks <laughs> was, what, Bigfoot or some type of something, something that wasn't a deer. Okay. And um, that is... Um, that to me is, I like those stories because this happens so many times, um, where people just have this moment where it happens to them. They're, they're not going out there doing tree knockings and I'm doing the Bigfoot thing. Um, they're not doing calls. You know, here you are just doing your thing and all of a sudden you hear something. You know perfectly well, especially since he lived in this area. This 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 is not part of my. Um, how can I say it? This is not what I know this to be. Because as human beings, we become attuned to our environment. Where you live in a place, whether you live in a city or urban or rural, or whatever, you all get used to a certain type of noise in the background that you know this is normal. This is life where I live at and I'm sure most of you will know that once you hear something that doesn't fit in there you perk up sometimes you're even asleep and you it will wake you up or kind of bring you out of it so he knew immediately that that growl whatever it was did not fit anywhere anywhere into the possibility of any animals that would be there not only that but the growl was so intense that without seeing it he knew whatever it is can eat me this member I don't know you know like I don't want to find out what it is that's making that growl because I know my instincts tell me I'm gonna have a short another stick on this and um I know there's a lot of people out there that uh, purposely look for these encounters with a cryptid or a Bigfoot, for example. And sometimes, 
you know, I admire people like that because, because sometimes I'm always thinking, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in that encounter. You don't know which way it's going to go. You know, they might flee from you, they might run off, or they might camouflage themselves and watch you. But if what if you catch one on a bad hair day? You know, or one that's sick, or hurt, or defending young, or anything. How do you, and I mean, that's the, that's the X factor, you know, in, the, in, in any situation that you don't know sometimes which way encounters of this type will go. And that's why when he, he said that story, I said, even as a kid, because, you know, usually at that age, you kind of like don't want to think about that too much. But I know subconsciously this must have shifted his reality of the world. Just like, I didn't need to see this, but I know enough that whatever was there does not fit into what should have been there. And then that door opens and a lot of things spill out as far as the possibilities. And um, and the reason why also, and, and, and I know I've spoken about this before, but I'm going to come back to it. Uh, and I think a lot of times as human beings, we try to put a human, human sensibilities to either I'm going to say cryptid, if you want to call it an animal, because some of, them, some of them, you don't know how much of an animal they are. They have some type of human qualities, whether it's a cryptid, so I'm going to say a cryptid, or uh, an extraterrestrial or anything. You know, they, we want them to be like us, good or bad. You know, like evil, bad, or, or to have a moral compass like that, or not to do things that we would find offensive. And it's like that. I think that's a big mistake. I think that's a big mistake, and I'm gonna, and, and I'm going to give you, if right now, and I know there's people out there going, why are you picking on Bigfoot, Marlene? I'm not picking on Bigfoot. This is this is just a hypothetical. Like I said, let's say you've got a Bigfoot, who's huge. We, all the descriptions for Bigfoot is that they're they're massive, a lot of body weight. Okay. You know how much an animal like that needs to consume daily, daily to sustain itself. Okay. That's not even considering if they have young or any reason why they're, they're hunting extra. And, and they decided to go and hunt and eat a human. Okay. Because a lot of people say, well, they eat deer. Yeah, because deer are much more common and numerous in their habitat. They're in the woods. But, you know, for us, our first initial reaction that if it was ever discovered that Bigfoot's ate people when they had the chance or be, or because certain circumstances drove them to it, it's like, oh my God, it's horrible. And it's like, okay, do you really think that the lion that brings down the gazelle is evil it's not it's doing what it needs to do to sustain to survive and i think a lot of times people want to make even if let's say that they do have human like qualities or appearance or whatever the first law is the law of self-preservation 
And I think that if that ever turned out to be the case, that it was discovered, oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> these Bigfoot, they try not to, but if they have the chance, they're going to kill you and eat you. Because they need meat. They need X amount of meat to from day to day. And they spend most of their day hunting or eating just to, which is what most animals do, to make it to the next day. And people would be like horrified. And it's like, why? It's, it's not an evil or bad thing for us humans when we put our, uh, how can I say, our motivations on it. For us, there's, cannibalism is a very taboo thing among humans. And sometimes we try to put that on other species or animals, and that's not the case. It's not a, that moral compass doesn't exist with them. In other words, they might hunt and eat us not because they hate us or they're out to get us. It's just that they're hungry and they need to eat. And like a lot of predators, they're opportunistic. Can you imagine how that would... How, same thing, and I'm going to go with... Let's go, let's jump ship and uh, go to extraterrestrials, UFOs, whatever. It's scary to think, you know, you hear about all these stories of people being abducted and probed and, you know, you hear of <clears throat> being harvested for uh, women for their eggs and men for their sperm. In other words, I mean, you hear all these stories as far as abductions, what's being done to them. You know, different people have different levels of whatever, uh, examinations or repeated abductions. And we see it from the point of view of that's so evil or that's so bad but maybe to them it is not we would think man the only way I would do that to a sentient being was because I hated them or because I thought that they were lesser than me but that doesn't mean that's our motive our human motivations or the way we would judge what how we would do this is how they would do it because to them maybe they don't do it from, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't do it from an evil perspective. As much as we think it's intrusive and evil and, and to be taken and, and, and probed and uh, examined and have DNA material taken from us and, blah, 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 and all the things that to human beings are like, this is horrible. Maybe where, who they are, what they are, where they come from, it isn't. It isn't a bad thing. They don't do it because they hate us. They do it because maybe this is part of how they examine mm, specimens. I hate to say it though, that that's about the only way you could really categorize the subject that's being treated that way. But it doesn't come from a... How can I say it? Um, it's almost like lab rats you know the the scientists that use lab rats for experiments i'm imagining most of the scientists don't hate i hate those rats they just use them because this is what i got to work with or i need to test this whatever it is and that's that and let's see what happens
with my experiment. And I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around looking at other, I don't know what to call them, species, animals, whatever they are, with taking off the lens of how we see things. And by the way, I'm not saying, yeah, uh, maybe there are ones out there that are evil as the way we think of as evil. In other words, I'm not saying that that's the off the table. You know, you could have, whether it's a cryptid or an extraterrestrial or whatever you want to call it, that is evil and does enjoy maybe subjecting human beings to horrific experiments or eating them or terrorizing them. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. But I'm saying that a lot of times we want to um, put our morality on something that has no concept of it. And maybe they just don't understand it. It's kind of like a weird thing that this is what happens when, you know, we're the, we, we believe we're the center of the universe and everything works the way humans want and everything is seen the way humans do. And there's just something to be said that, you know, we have to um, own our sensibilities as a, as a species because, you know, because something else doesn't have it doesn't mean they're bad or evil. They're just different. It's like, nope. I'm telling you. But anyway, guys, I hope you like this show. I've got a lot of inter interesting guests coming on, even though I'm going to have to slow this down. Because, oh my God. Yeah, I'm moving and, and I'm never moving again. <laughs> that's it. Once that's done, they're going to have to take me out with a crowbar. I'm not moving again. That's that. It's crazy. But you know what? I might as well do it in 2020. I mean, everything else is happening in 2020. So might as well, you know, what is it? Hang tight and go along for the ride. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like, again, you can see the background. I've got a ladder and weird stuff. And I'm I basically I'm doing this out of my dining room table that I pushed up against the wall. And yep. Yep, it's crazy. But anyway, I, I, I do have interesting guests coming on. I'm going to have to do some scheduled juggling, especially now with the holidays coming up. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween, all that neat stuff. But in the in the meat. Oh. But I'll, I'll take you guys along. i got a nice property that hopefully that's we're moving to real nice. Bigger than where we're at now, by the way. A lot bigger. It's going to be nice. Yep. And now, uh, uh, let me see if I can film it and I'll show it to you guys and I'm hoping I can go out there. It's it's a real small town where I'm going to, though. <laughs> it's only got about a little bit over 5,000 people living there. But, but, it was established in the 1880s, which means there's probably a lot of interesting history and maybe ghost stuff. And, you know, I'll be investigating once I actually, like, unpack and sleep for about a week and things like that. <laughs> but anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming back every week and uh, sharing this time with me. You are all wonderful. Take care.